0: The enemies of Knights of the Slice. At this point in time, the roster is getting larger and larger. There is a rogues gallery of evil beings that are out to stop the Knights of the Slice. The question I would pose, though, are they evil? Or do they believe that they are the heroes in their own story? Interesting question. One of the first villains that Knights of the Slice encounter, and probably the being of most significance in the sort of first couple years of KOTS, is the Death Knight. Now, uh, fans that have been here from the beginning, or people who have bought the postcard comic book, which by the way is available on the store right now, um, I am actually low on inventory on the postcard comic book collection, and uh, I don't know that I'm going to reprint it. So, um, I think I have maybe 50 copies left, maybe a little bit less than that. But, uh, if you have not sort of, uh, picked up this zine and refreshed yourself on all of the postcard comics of the first, I guess it was three or four years of Nights, uh, you should do so now, because I think within the next couple months it's going to be gone for good. But anyway, I digress. Enough of the advertisement. Uh, Death Knight. What do we know about him? What has been told and shared? Well, uh, we do know that uh, Death Knight was originally what sort of is an unofficial name, the Cheese Platter Knight. He was the first Knight of the Slice. He was the prototype. Um, He wore wore both the sort of uh, Test Type Zero suit as well as the Cheese Platter Knight. And... um, This takes us all the way back to around 1984, when commercialization was really taking over in a big way. And these big food conglomerates were sort of vying for any sort of uh, ground they could get in the hearts and minds of the citizens. And uh, we don't know Death Knight's name. I don't think that's ever been revealed. But he was a sort of Adonis-type figure. He was chiseled... He had long, beautiful blonde hair, um, gorgeous features. He was a he would be a hot general today by uh, Chapo's standards, um, and uh, he was sort of so vain he didn't want to wear the new protective helmets that Fred Foods had uh, come up with and developed. Uh, the helmets, of course, became a mainstay for knights. Then on, uh, they grant the knights a lot of abilities. Um, you know between uh, enhanced sight, uh, increased audio uh, detection, all sorts of things, including some level of airtight seals and um, the ability to filter out noxious uh, gases and things like that. So they they have this shiny new helmet from the boys in R&D, and uh, the original cheese platter knight says, no, don't want it, not going to do it. It hides my cheekbones. I prefer this cloth mask. So, sure enough, he uh, goes into battle wearing just the the sort of original standard cloth mask, and he gets his face nuked by uh, by a villain he was fighting. And um, his beautiful good looks that have carried him so far in life that that allowed him uh, a certain merit of privilege and uh, entry into the upper echelons of society... People just genuinely like to be around an attractive man like this. Um, That all came crashing down. He awakens in a hospital bed, his face is bandaged up. And uh, he's pretty distraught, you know. This This is a guy who was not challenged much in life. He was just sort of genetically very gifted, very tall, very muscular, excelled at sports. Um, not a good student, but didn't need to be a good student because sports scholarship sort of carried him where he needed to be. And um, it made sense that uh, he would be the uh, the sort of face and the body of this Night to the Slice program. Uh, now, the Knights of the Slice program was initially... It sort of served two purposes. One, it was a mascot. Think of Ronald McDonald, right? You Think of Sonic the Hedgehog. You need a uh something commercial-able, commercial 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 bot commercializable i don't even know if that's a word we're gonna skip that for now <laughs> um you needed a commercial entity you know to to kind of launch uh the brand to be able to sell happy meals to be able to sell toys to be able to sell t-shirts and that's what the cheese platter night really was um so he awakens from this horrific accident. He goes back to work and his security card is no longer working. And they, uh, they have sort of unceremoniously fired him. Worse yet, he has this huge medical bill now. Um, you know, there was... Uh, he was essentially a uh, subcontractor. He was not an official employee of Fred Foods. Although there is... He swears he was and that the contracts have been changed retroactively... In a feat of sort of corporate malfeasance, um, I don't know though. I think we can trust these gigantic food conglomerates. I, I can't imagine they would do something to um, turn the screws on an employee. So uh, he he's uh, rightfully upset. And what we didn't know at the time, and what is not sort of listed in the postcard comic book, is that uh, you know he's got a wife and uh, they may have some offspring, some children together. And so Death Knight breaks in to uh, the Knights of the Slice headquarters. He steals one of the helmets. He also steals himself uh, some booze from a local liquor store. And he goes out into Queens, deep into Queens, into the swamplands. And uh, he's sort of Drinking himself silly, wearing the helmet, and he decides to dump jump him into the swamp and just uh, end his life there. But uh, his life doesn't end. He's he is sort of he feels the presence of this kind of glittering pink energy, this ancient entity, this uh, this sort of bodiless soul, this life force. And it pulls him from the muck and and doesn't heal him, but kind of possesses him, in a way. You know, takes over his uh, corporal body, although he still has his sort of mind and his wits about him. He becomes something much different. And um, (coughs) donning a, a black and red Knight of the Slice outfit, he does... The only thing he thinks he can do, and that is he takes to the airwaves. He starts making all these videos, all these diatribes. And he does strike a nerve with people. He's he's willing to sort of uh, burn the sacred cows. He's willing to point the finger at both the political parties and, and really call for armed uprising. And because there is no government oversight of these sort of social media platforms, and they themselves are a conglomerate, He's able to rise in notoriety simply because he's he's selling controversy, and he becomes this uh, this figure, this lightning rod for all the people that maybe have a similar history as him. They they feel abused by the corporate system. They feel detached from interpersonal relationships. Uh, They may have familial responsibilities, they may have wife and kids and a family unit, but just have no connection and have no urge to uphold those commitments. And um, so that's sort of where we get introduced to Death Knight and we understand he's a very dangerous customer and he does have... uh, His aim, specifically on Fred Foods and specifically on Knights of the Slice, he wants to tear it all down. Um, Also part of the possession experience that he went through, he finds himself able to be ethereal. He can make his body immaterial. He can slide through walls with great concentration. He can even sort of drift up into the atmosphere and and sort of... uh, you know, take flight in some respects. A lot of it depends on sort of wind patterns and things like that. But uh, he's his intangible ability allows him to live as a sort of specter. Um, but the fight in him is gone. He, you know, his muscles were really for show. There was a lot of human growth hormones and steroid supplementation that got him the physique that made him so famous. But there is little to no actual fighting ability. Or stomach for war and, you know, blood and and physical fisticuffs. So, Death Knight becomes a sort of uh, puppet master in some respects, just kind of stoking fires from behind the veil of the internet. Uh, But he does manage to attract worshippers and followers and uh, does become... A fatal agitator of Knights of the Slice. And we will get to that a little bit later when we talk about another uh, of the big bads of Knights of the Slice, the Chaos King. Now, Death Knight is one of the most impactful villains, but he's not the first villain that we met. There is a villain before that that villain is Skull Grimson. Now Skull Grimson is an old hero creation of mine. There are some really crude pencil drawings of Skull Grimson from my youth that I really like. and It was a blast to take that character and have an amazing artist like Erwin Papa reinterpret him for uh, issue number hmm, issue number two of the Knights of the Slice comic, which you can get a digital download of on the web store right now I guess now that I say that actually he would not be the first villain because uh, there's villains in issue number one so we're going to have to address that as well Um, but for this segment we're talking about Skull Grimson Uh, Skull Grimson, the name comes from an actual uh, if I'm not mistaken uh, Viking character from Swedish lore and uh, you can go ahead look him up Pretty interesting guy, traveler, warrior, poet, some would say. Skull Grimson runs a, uh, a gang of hijackers that essentially steal food. Now, for Skull Grimson, this is a profitable venture, but it is also a way to feed his people. Um, we don't know much about the sort of mechanical makeup of Skull Grimson. He appears to be somewhat. Uh, biomechanical. He also appears to have some organic material to him. He wears a sort of tethered wide-brim hat. He seems to favor almost a, you know, pantaloon-style pants. Um, Very flashy dresser. And he does have these sort of minions who also wear skull faces and masks and do his bidding. Um, How much uh... Is underneath those costumes in terms of being a human or being a cyborg or being an alien, we don't know. It's never been sort of discovered. Um, Skull Grimson did not last very long. He made the mistake of trying to hijack Knights of the Slice, although some would say he got the upper hand because he did actually kill the Purple Knight. Um, Limebrick and Teal in their first official mission uh, are heading out and uh, they come across Purple and his uh, vehicle just completely destroyed now if you go back to issue number two you'll notice also Skull Grimson is kind of the originator or the adapter in the modern era of the arm cannon that old knights seem to favor so interesting uh, piece of lore there for you to discover Um, Skull Grimson ultimately did not last very long. Now Knights of the Slice are supposed to, are a paramilitary force, but they are supposed to be nonviolent. Now Teal's first mission out, he wasn't having any of that, and he promptly uh Sparta kicked Skull Grimson off of the building he was perched on to his death. Um The autopsy of which gave us very interesting crucial sort of a catalyst for the story one in within his boot heel uh they found a atlantean artifact which brought the knights of the slice to the future um you know position of sub-city to the big cache that was underneath uh the ocean the big atlantean sort of uh resting ground Uh, It was also important because the the arms of Grimson were donated to uh, veterans of the Food War who needed replacement limbs, and those arms currently reside with none other than Cybermama. So, as you can see, sometimes these villains, in their villainy, actually end up delivering us some important key people. I don't want to say hero, but I will say key people. So yes, I did just recognize my folly in that Skull Grimson was not the first villain of Knights of the Slice. Obviously, the robots who wear clothes gang and their leader, Tankhead were actually the first villain of Knights of the Slice. Although sort of unintentionally so. So kicking back to issue one of the Knights of Slice comic, which is available for digital download on the web store now. Brick and Lime are getting done delivering some food to orphans in Queens. Um, Fred Foods allow this sort of practice to happen because it's good PR. And they figure it's a small bone they can throw their employees to appear as if they are doing good in the world. Um, It's a sort of way to polish the, you know, the tarnish off of mega conglomerates that uh, has definitely been around for a long time. And the anti-corporate sentiment is arguably well due given the track record of these enormous companies. Uh, So they are out doing this meager good for a company that is gray at best. And they encounter a, uh, essentially a cosplayer. Teal has constructed his own Night of the Slice costume out of household items. And he's going around patrolling the streets. And there's a particular street that this takes place on. This is Skillman Avenue in Sunnyside, Queens. If you guys ever want to do a Night of the Slice walk the scenes, uh, that's the place you want to go. And... Uh, Teal essentially gets in a fight with a robot because the robot's dog takes a number two right on the sidewalk, and because it's snowing, the robot leaves it there to uh, get covered up with snow, which is not actually a solution for animal waste. So uh, they start getting in an argument. Brick and Lime come out and join, but they don't realize that they're right in front of the robot's hangout bar. Now, the robots who wear clothes are sort of... I guess you could call them transhumans in some respect. They are sentient worker robots who have decided to take on the affectations of living human beings. So, completely unnecessary things like wearing clothes is a signal to everyone else that these are, I guess... You know, uh, they would like to be considered a more evolved version of cybernetics. Their AI is leaning them towards potentially this illusion that they are real living creatures. I mean, this is a, this is a deep philosophical question that I guess every reader has to answer for themselves. But the robots who wear clothes are a marginalized group of beings, and uh, they have a real solidarity about them. And they get into this big street fight where, you know, it's probably about 50 against three. But the Knights of the Slice do triumph. Uh, you know, Lyman and Brick at this point are pretty well trained in, in combat. And Teal is a, you know, he's a child of the streets. He's, he's a tough cookie. He is not sophisticated in his fighting skills, but he is dogged, and he does not go down. And uh, the fight sort of escalates when the leader of the robots who wear clothes steps out, and this is Tankhead. This is a underworld criminal mastermind of the Queen's area at at this time. He's a former intergalactic wrestler. He's on Earth for God knows why, and he enjoys juicing himself with forbidden antlian vials of some kind of chemical that makes him grow in size. And uh, a battle ensues, and reluctantly, Knights of the Slice end up taking Tankhead's life. He explodes into a pile of pink goo, and the eloquent leader of the robots who wear clothes is no more. So uh, already, without intention... The Knights of the Slice are starting to rack up quite a body count. Uh, the robots who wear clothes don't have much direction after that. They've, they've lost their leader, who was in fact not a robot like them, but uh, a sort of living being, I don't want to say human, and who uh, lended credibility to their cause. And without that, they find themselves even more marginalized, And, uh, you know, the street fight is blamed solely on them, and they're sort of spread into the wind. They're excommunicated and exiled, and, you know, where where that gang lives now and how they operate is largely unknown. It's suspected that they are sort of inactive or all taken offline. And now we get to the Chaos King, who, let's face it, this guy's really a big bad. One of the big bads. One of the two big bads, I guess you could say, as far as we know so far. Chaos Knight first appears at the sale of Royal Knight in the postcard comic with some very rudimentary artwork by myself that is embarrassing to this day, but, um, you know, My theory with doing artwork and doing comics related to the Slice is that I'm in the same trajectory as you guys. I'm trying to improve as an artist and as a storyteller. And as much as these older comics embarrass me because of their crudeness, um, I do think it's important to show the progress throughout the years. I have a comic I'm completing right now. That will tie into the end of this month's big fifth anniversary sort of reveal and drop. And the artwork is uh, some of my best. I'm very proud of it. Uh, But it's been, you know, five years of chipping away at this. Telling little stories, doing a lot of life drawing classes, things like that. So I I think if there's a lesson here, it's that you should be making as much bad art as frequently as you can. And don't be embarrassed about it. Just continue to iterate on it over and over again. And then eventually, you will be able to look back and say, wow, this is a market improvement. I've gotten that much better as a sequential storyteller. And uh, I don't have anything special. I don't have any God-given abilities beyond what you guys have. So you can do it too, and we're on this journey together. Now switching back to uh, the Chaos King. So we first meet him with Royal. They're standing off. It's Arthurian times. And uh, the Chaos King jumps into a portal, and Royal Knight jumps in after a Vector portal. And uh, he gets sort of spit out in present-day Miami. Now, present-day Miami, we know, is under the sort of purview of Vice Knight. And Vice Knight is there waiting. He knew this, this Vector anomaly would be happening. And he gives Royal an updated costume and starts to integrate him into the Knights of the Slice kind of uh, give you know modern information Um, some saline uh, info drips which are very useful in sort of conveying uh, you know a massive amount of knowledge to these time displaced folks very common sort of medical procedure Um, Chaos King doesn't sort of stop there he travels back and forth throughout the vector through many eras and times. And eventually, he reappears in a big way when we get to our comic that uh, shows the final stand of Lime. At the Piece of Shunt Soda Factory, Chaos has possessed Death Knight. And together, in this sort of merged being, they're going to taint the world's soda supply. Uh, Fred Foods owns uh, you know, uh, a lot of the infrastructure worldwide of the sugar water that we so crave. Uh, the knights are, are really, they've taken a pounding. They're very beat up. Um, we have uh, Bollinger Burton taking the guys of Teal. Teal, of course, has left. He, uh, he sort of got into his side mission for Fed Foods at Sub-City, and has left the team and has not been seen since. He was sort of sucked up by some kind of extraterrestrial craft at this point, which leads us to another villain we'll get to next. Um, We also have Royal in his Vector Jump Armor. He's received an upgrade. And then we have Brick and we have Lime, and they're really beaten up. And uh, I believe this is probably the first depiction of the Cracked Helmet design that would later come with all Hyper Knight figures we see that on Lime so they're beaten they uh, can't seem to get the upper hand on Death Knight and Chaos but Lime has an idea he instructs Brick to go into integer mode his sort of uh, his online avatar presence which is really great at hacking machinery and electronic devices and in integer mode Brick essentially overclocks Lime's helmet, he, he supercharges all the circuits on it. So it's essentially a, a sort of pulsating uh, Faraday cage, in some respects. And Lime knows he needs Death Knight to make contact with him, and there will be an enormous explosion, one of which he will not survive. But he knows that the fate of all soda drinkers everywhere, and the rest of his team, really depends on his sacrifice. So Lime, calm as a Hindu cow, walks out and and uh, encourages Death Knight to hit me. Uh, the the specific phrase, hit me, is, uh, for me, a call-out to one great song that I really love a lot by The Sounds. A song, I believe, just called Hit Me. And uh, it's a really great song, and I, I actually... Um, I had a brief stint as a music journalist in the uh, early aughts, fairly embarrassing, but I did get to interview some very cool bands, uh, one of which was The Sounds, um, this really great garage rock band from Sweden, I highly recommend them, and they had this song called Hit Me, which is really fantastic, and I was convinced that this song was about David Lynch's Blue Velvet, um, because Isabella Rossellini's character in that movie, um, I don't want to ruin it, but Watch Blue Velvet by David Lynch. Listen to the sounds. These are great recommendations for you. And uh, I just put that in there as a little nod to that song and that movie that nobody would ever pick up on unless I explicitly called it out in a podcast, which I'm doing now. So there you are. And yes, uh, Death Knight connects. And the plan works in that Lime's brain is (laughs) hastily makes an exit from his skull Um, the electricity coursing through his helmet and suit, uh, shoots onto Death Knight, which violently causes a separation between the Chaos King and Death Knight, and then Death Knight, of course, falls into the vat of soda, and lime is no more, and it appears that Death Knight is also no more. But what truth may be held further down the line? can't say right now, but I will probably say in a few minutes. Oh, and before I move on to the next segment, it is worth mentioning that you should listen to the Destazapod episode called The Gospel of the Leviathan. That will give you some additional information about Chaos King that I just don't want to repeat here, so go do that. Now we go to Rift killers, probably one of the most prolific villains of Knights nice of the Slice in sheer number. Now, Rift Killers are essentially an empty suit of space junk armor that is sort of inhabited by these microscopic uh, intelligent bacteria. And together they possess a, a hive mind, a, a group intelligence. Um, if you just encounter one Rift Killer, though, it's likely that it acts almost like a feral animal of Earth. Uh, If you read the really fantastic Gavin Mackey Sub-City black-and-white zine, also available on our store, you will see what an encounter with a solo Rift Killer is like. And essentially it is a sort of beast, a very vicious beast. Um, Rift Killers are extraterrestrial in nature. They are built out of some Terran and Earthbound uh, satellite debris and things like that. Um, they came to interact with Knights of Slice because they abducted Teal as he was escaping from Sub-City with some uh, bootleg Antlian artifacts. God knows for what purpose. But anyway, uh, Teal was sort of sucked up in their tractor beam and uh, became a prisoner of theirs. Now, the Rift Killers had also abducted long ago uh, another Earthling who we know as Copperlight. And Copperlight um, was really a low-status, low-rung member of the Roof Killer Society, but he was kind of uh, techno-infused with their language and ability to understand them and also retain his Earthling language skills and memories and things like that. So he became this very uh, interesting Rosetta Stone for them. And the Copperlight was able to sort of I don't want to say take in Teal, but help Teal survive in some respects. Now, Copperlight saw Teal as a threat to Copperlight's standing with the Vicious Rift Killers. But he also felt a compassion and a little bit of empathy for a human being who was about to be subjected to what Copperlight had spent hundreds of years being subjected to. And in that, they were sort of simpatico. Now, Teal eventually, through grit and determination and trickery, overthrew Copperlight and became not only the favorite son of the Rift Killers, but eventually their leader, and he led them right back to Earth. You know, in all these different sci-fi scenarios, the aliens are coming to Earth to claim our resources. Um, All of the alien incursions in the world of Knights of the Slice are not actually to get our resources. They are simply interested, these various factions, in ownership of the Earth because we've done such a good job of reducing the value of Earth. It is essentially a distressed plot of land with minimal resources and a dying population that is sufficiently weak for a takeover. It is not about resources to them. These are sort of spacefaring cultures that have technology and energy sources we can only dream of. What they like about Earth is that it's so war-torn and we've inflicted so much pain upon ourselves that we're ripe for the picking and enslavement and subjugation. So just an interesting little twist on the normal rationale for why alien species sort of seek out um, ownership of Earth. That's not the case here. We've made the job super easy for them. We're sitting ducks in a lot of respects. So Teal and the Rift Killers come back to Earth. Uh, At this point, Rex Gannon is hired as the stand-in leader of Knights of the Slice since Lime has been killed. Um, The Knights and other people slowly start to retrofit Rift Killer armor for their own uses. Um, And they go toe-to-toe with the Rift Killers. They're ready... ...to uh, do battle. Now, the individual Rift Killers themselves, because they're hive mind ...and they sort of grow in strength through unity... ...they are able to be, after quite a bit of fighting... ...they're able to be atomized and sort of scattered. And because they are sort of bacterial in nature... ...it doesn't take much to uh, basically render the armor that they're wearing completely worthless... Uh, with the bacteria really literally being scattered into the wind. But Teal is a a sort of tangible, real person. Uh, He goes up against Rex Gannon, and he also goes up against the Copperlight Killer, who, uh, you know, is now sort of uh, very upset that he's been displaced by Teal. Teal bests Copperlight. And then, in a stunning... Sunning move, which was voted on by Knights of the Slice fans for the outcome. Teal bests Rex Gannon and beats him near death. Uh, there's a wonderful piece of art that Brian Phelps did. I'll see if I can dig it up and post it, but of Teal sort of standing over Rex Gannon, who's bloodied and bruised and uh, has been completely beaten. And you guys did this. This is the classic, uh, you know, when DC Comics let folks call in to see if. Um, Dick Grayson, or was it uh, Tim Drake? One of the Robins, to see if the Joker would kill one of the Robins, and unanimously, people voted to kill Robin. So too have all you Brutuses cut me with betrayal. You uh, voted that Rex lost the fight, and Teal escaped to fight another day. Now we don't know where Teal is. We he hasn't been heard of since that Rift Killer wave and since he defeated Rex Gannon. We know that Rex Cannon, look, that's not his first defeat, but it was a particularly humiliating one. He's slowly gotten over it. He's slowly settled into his role as the stand-in leader of Knights of the Slice. He's tried to move his life away from combat as much as possible, and focusing on helping people, utilizing sort of military might to be a peacekeeping force, which you can argue is a complete folly, Um, But it is what he knows and what he can sort of do. So Rex is still with us. And uh, Teal is still out there somewhere. And you got to sort of ask, uh, what are the bigger implications for that in the future? In the old heroes storyline, which, gosh, must have been... Two years ago three years ago during the summer we met rebel bumblejet and gamma guy now you can argue whether or not these are villains but i think they're significant to the story so you have these sort of three characters which we gave great backstories to with the help of gavin mackie and his comic art bumblejet being an intergalactic bonnie hunter who's a shapeshifter um, rebel who is a sort of veteran uh possibly of the food wars who lives in a decrepit part of New York City and has taken to robbing criminals and stealing their money, buying himself better gear, and occasionally sharing that money with specific charities in the community. And then you have Gamma Guy, who his story is very similar to Death Knight's in that he was betrayed by a big food conglomerate, uh, in this case, the Nuked Cow Burger franchise. And uh, due to radiation which was supposed to sort of give him the powers he has, he uh, is terminally ill and needs a Knight of the Slice suit in order to create a sort of homeostasis in his body and prevent uh, the cancer from further overtaking him. So you have these three characters who engage in villainy and uh, do bad things, but ultimately end up coming to work for Knights of the Slice. Um, They also encounter two beings that, again, could be considered villains, could be considered heroes. These are, of course, the Nobody Knight and the Nebula Knight. Um, These sort of vector jump characters sent by the Corriger to uh, seek out the Knights of the Slice. Now, um, the Nobody Knight is a, a sort of force of destruction, and the Nebula Knight is a force of creation. And when they interact with Rebel and Gamma Guy and Bumblejet, Rebel shoots his mouth off. Uh, does more than shoot his mouth off. He opens fire on Nobody Knight, who easily deflects the bullets and then renders the limbs of Rebel Knight into atoms with a powerful blast. Now, Nobody feels... Uh, sorry, Nebula feels bad about this. And heals Rebel, gives him new cybernetically augmented limbs, and bestows upon him a vector jump suit of armor. A nice upgrade. Uh, and they, they seem to sort of let bygones be bygones and, and move on. But um, I could see, you could argue that any of these five characters are villains. Um, or you could argue that any of these five characters are heroes. I think that there's a, there's a case to be made for both. But there is a, a sort of entity that you cannot argue are heroes. And that would be the device ninjas. The device ninjas are mechanical creations of a rival Japanese noodle chain that wants to overtake the, uh, the market space that Fred Foods and Pizza Shunt have on US appetites. And they're prepared to do this through corporate espionage and outright warfare in a lot of cases. Their device ninjas are essentially, you know, the T-800s of uh, the Knights of the Slice universe. These are mechanized beings that seek only to kill, maim, destroy. And their weaponry is no joke. They are augmented with uh, cybernetic limbs that can sort of morph and swap, turn into different caliber of gun and flamethrowers. They have uh, really deadly samurai swords. Uh, But there is a little bit of organic material in their construction, which uh, I don't know if has ever been discussed before, but they do possess a, a, a tiny shred of humanity in some Harvest organs and and other things like that that are encased under many layers of uh, protective steel and vulcanized carbon and things like that. Uh, The device ninjas are really, really dangerous. Really, really formidable. But they are machines at the end of the day and can be tricked and can be fooled and can be outsmarted. Um, You know, I I think often of the, the battle at the end of the first Predator movie where... Arnold is clearly outmatched by this just enormous, deadly creature. But at the end of the day, through grit and sort of intellect, he he beats this creature. And I, I think a lot about that in terms of our Knights of the Slice characters, who are human. Some of them have slight powers or wear suits that, you know, enhance their abilities. But they are, at the end of the day, just regular humans like me and you. Um, That is the sort of dynamic of a fight it would be to go up against these types. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, we've seen time and time again, you can beat a Device Ninja in straight-up combat only slightly. Now, Royal Knight, the best swordsman in Knights of the Slice, hands down, went sword to sword with the Lilac Device Ninja. No, sorry, not the Lilac Device Ninja. I actually don't remember what Device Ninja it was. Anyway, Royal Knight went up against a Device Ninja and uh, narrowly won. And by one, he was still maimed and had a sword sticking out of his back. Uh, This is where the Micros first appeared and saved Royal Knight and put him into the uh, Regenesis capsule, which uh, let him heal, but also sort of transmogrified him into the first sort of quote-unquote good device ninja in his, you know, evolved form as the royal device. Um, Device ninjas still have a big part to play here. Knights of the Slice are trying to sort of retrofit some device ninjas into being good entities. But I got to tell you, I'm really nervous about that prospect because I, I just... At the end of the day i don't trust them they are programmed for one thing and i don't know if uh any clever hacking is going to get rid of that desire that they have to just basically slice and dice anything in their way and i gotta tell you if knights of the slice think they can move pizza shunt chains into japan i think that they're going to be met with a great deal of force And that great deal of force is going to take the shape of device ninjas. Now, we know about a couple old knights that are bad dudes. Uh, We have, of course, the Trilo Knight and the Chaos Knight. These are sort of newer characters... They are being sent here directly from the Trilobite King to cause havoc and terror in Earth for us. I guess on Earth would be a better way to put that. In any case, their story is still being told by you guys, so I'm not going to go too deep into that. But we do have to address Knights, who live in the world of the Trilobite King, which is another dimension, not unlike our own dimension, with parallel characters uh, corresponding in each Planes of existence. Now, you guys are about to meet a brand new Hyper Knight. Uh, obviously, there is a sort of revolution brewing in the Trilobite King's world. Hyper Knights who are bred for war and chaos and uh, just being brutal instruments of destruction, they are starting to have an awakening and realizing that, you know. Um, being so quick to war is not beneficial. It is no way to live. And that uh, it is not weakness that pushes people to avert war, but it is actually strength, great strength and understanding of the cost of war that makes us hesitant to embrace these things. So the trilobite king has a massive problem on his hand because all of these, these scores of creations and warriors, they are seeking a better life. And the Trilobite King realizes that there are more of them than there are of him and his loyal, sort of uh, close-knit warriors. So, uh, one of the things that the Trilobite King did was he dispatched the Hyper Death, who is truly a psychopath. And, And a psychopath by Hyper Knight standards is really Something tremendous to be said. Um, Trilobite King knows that he's very close to completing the Hackerman project. The Hackermen will be everything that the Hyper Knights failed to be. They will be completely fearless in their subjugation and domination of all other species and will be 100% loyal to the Trilobite King. Hyper Knights, he made the mistake of giving free will to. And because of that, they are starting to revolt, and it's a, it's a scary time for him. But the Hackerman project is not yet ready to come online. It can't be rushed. He needs to make sure that they will be the perfect killing machines. And so he needs to buy time. So what does he do? Well, he does two things. One, he dispatches HyperDeath, his worst, worst uh, psychopathic killer. His most loyal soldier, also. He dispatches him to hunt down the Hypermicros, who were sort of crossover beings that stepped into the Apotheosis capsule and became their higher form. Hyperdeath, uh, he makes short work of them, and he steals their hard drive chest plates and integrates those into his own chest plate. So that's why Hyperdeath has this sort of shiny, metallic, beautiful, gleaming... Uh, hard drive chest plate, which looks exactly like the Hyper Micros. That was his prize for killing them. Um, he then proceeds to hunt down all of the Noir Knight troopers and Cerellian Hyper Knight. And we don't know the outcome of that battle. Hyper death has not been heard from. Serellian Knight has not been heard from. They could have possibly killed each other in this exchange, But Trilobite King is pretty nervous because where the hell is HyperDeath? You know, he has lost his right hand and uh, he's starting to get nervous. So we're about to meet the next in line to the Trilobite King, a chap named Marson. And Marson is from Mars. He's a Martian. That's in part why he gets his name. But... Uh, despite the, you know, your usual interactions with the Martian uh, is pretty favorable. They're pretty cheery people. They're interested in learning more about humans and learning to live on the surface as opposed to, you know, inside of the core of planets as as all other planets outside of Earth have done. Um, Martian is completely twisted. He is the interrogator for Trilobite King. And... His method of interrogation is particularly brutal, and uh, essentially he is—he's a, a fixer. He will do whatever the Trial by King says with aplomb and with maximum cruelty. So you do not want to cross paths with Marson by any respect. And we're going to meet this guy, and he is going to be a super bad dude. But there is one thing that he wants, and that has recently. ...popped back up on everybody's radar, and that is the Blood Capsule, which we've been talking about for a very long time. Um, if you remember, Battlesire and Randy Chap tracked down the Blood Capsule for the Corriger, but it did not go so well. They were easily dispatched by the Lilac Device Ninja. Obviously, the, uh, the Ono Ramen Company wanted the Blood Capsule for themselves... So, we're going to meet Marcin very soon. It's going to be a very intense sort of uh, event. I think we're going to get into this on our five-year anniversary, January 27th. We'll be doing a live stream in the evening. I am super excited for you to meet him. There is some amazing artwork and a nice little comic lined up for this. It's going to be a big-time release. I'm super excited for it. Um, I am sure I am also missing some other villains in here. You guys let me know in the comments... Who else I need to speak on at great length, and I will do my best to remedy that. Um, have you guys gotten your comic books, the the Hypernight zine, and have you digested it? Did you find the reveal in there to be particularly exciting? I want to hear from you. I think at this point, the majority of them have been dispersed, so we can talk about spoilers in there. But that Hypernight zine is, is pretty crucial to everything that happens next. So you're going to want to hang in there and uh, make sure you've read it. And uh, I think that's everything I got for you guys today. Let me know if there's other villains I need to cover. And let me know if we should do a villain set. Should we get all these guys together? Should they team up to uh, inflict maximum damage on that of the Slice? That might be an interesting event. Um, so there you have it, folks. Hope you're enjoying your life and your day. And the only thing left to say is pizza out.